Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello. Welcome to the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. I am your host, Ari Barbalat. Today, it is my hallowed honor to be in dialogue with Dr. Stephen Bowman. He is Professor Emeritus of Judaic Studies at University of Cincinnati. We will be discussing his newly translated and newly published book, Sefer Yosipon, A Tenth Century History of Ancient Israel, published in Detroit by Wayne State University Press, 2022. Stephen, I am absolutely humbled and grateful to be in dialogue with you today. I'm delighted to be here. Look forward to a good conversation. To begin, please tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? What formative events in your life inspired the scholar you are today? Well, I was born in Boston and uh, uh, went to uh, a Latin school to begin with, and that's where I got very interested in history and my science fiction father's book collection. And uh, then I continued studying uh, uh, college in uh, Western Massachusetts at the University of Massachusetts, Smith College, and Mount Holyoke, where I studied Judaic studies and uh, and was a history major, although I was, uh, uh, was hoodwinked into signing up as a uh, psychology major and fortunately never took a psychology course until I was uh, informed in my senior year that I had too many history courses. And so we had to manipulate things by <laughs> by talking to my various professors and having them move to classics and other subjects. But uh, uh, we managed to finish that. Uh, Then my teacher suggested that uh, I go to the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. So I called them up on the phone and asked if I could come. And, uh, you know, being good Jews, they said, yeah, come. Kim goes into eight. And so I told my mother. And uh, shortly after graduation, I flew off to Israel, where I began learning spoken Hebrew, having been in Hebrew school for enough years to read it. I spent two years at the Hebrew University, uh, and then um, the person I was studying with, uh, Tzvian Kori, went to Ohio State University, and I wrote them a letter and asked them if I could come, and they were very impressed <clears throat> and invited me. So off I went to Ohio State University, where I eventually got my PhD uh, in Byzantine uh, Jewish Studies. Uh, then I went to Hebrew Union College for a year, uh, and uh, then I received uh, several fellowships and spent two years in Greece, and then came back to the United States and started looking for a job. Is there any relationship between your project on Sefer Yosipon and your previous historical scholarship? If yes, how so? If no, why not? Well, during uh, during my dissertation research, in which I, I basically collected all of the sources that I could find um, and translated uh, on the uh, Byzantine Jews from 1204 to 1461, or 1453, as we call it in the title, um, I came across uh, Yudha Ibn Mosconi uh, and his extremely interesting uh, uh, career. Uh, and that's basically what I followed both there um, uh, after I translated his his famous letter uh, and, uh, and read a little bit about his own research on Avram Ibn Ezra. 
which he pursued after he got his so-called postgraduate degree from from uh, 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 from studying in Greece. He himself came from Serbia and went down to the island of Evia, uh, where he studied uh, uh, rabbinics and philosophy, and then went off. Uh, he came across um, uh, fragments of, of Sefer Yosipan, and in fact, is one of the most important texts that we have for the circulation of Yosipan, which was widespread apparently throughout the uh, the Byzantine world. And of course, many manuscripts of, of Yosipan, uh, fragments of, of manuscripts, uh, wound up in the Cairo Geniza uh, from scholars uh, uh, who left Byzantium under persecution or uh, uh, various other reasons and studied in uh, or lived uh, in Cairo and their, their documents wound up in the Geniza. So in any event, uh, uh, I decided to to uh, actually look into Yosipan itself. And when I was in Israel, which I went to, uh, uh, yeah, when I went to Israel in 1978, I got a fellowship at the Hebrew University. Uh, I called up David Flusser, uh, introduced myself, congratulated him on, on being the 20th century uh, editor of of uh, Yosipon, uh, what I was studying, Yudeb and Mosconi. So he invited me uh, to his house, and um, we began a, a 20, 20 odd year career of conversations. Every time I went to Israel, I visited with him, and we discussed it immensely. And he was, a, uh, as you know, a fantastically uh, learned uh, individual. Uh, and every time I made an, uh, uh, a remark, uh, he would proceed to give me a dissertation <laughs> on that particular subject. So um, uh, it was an interesting experience, a fascinating experience, and a lovely relationship that we enjoyed. And um, uh, he looked through my my preliminary uh, uh, translation uh, and wished me uh, uh, wished me luck. And then we discussed it periodically uh, as I returned over the years to Jerusalem. What were the most challenging difficulties you encountered during this translation project? How did you deal with them? How did you overcome them? Well, fortunately, I had uh, a lot of good colleagues with whom I discussed uh, a number of problems, uh, the same way that I did with my dissertation, of course. Uh, during my uh, uh, years of, of uh, before I got my PhD, and uh, I traveled to a number of, of schools, and afterwards, uh, and afterwards, I, I moved to the 19th century, uh, you know, through California, through several schools. Uh, and uh, I taught at Indiana for two years and uh, had access to some very, very good scholars, uh, both history and uh, Judaica. Uh, and so I was able to discuss the various problems that came up with them uh, in terms of uh, language, uh, some of the complexities of, of uh uh, of Yosipan's reference to um, uh, to Roman Roman coinage, uh, other aspects, uh, constantly trying to find Fluss's, um, uh various articles uh, that were buried in places that um, uh, that were hard to find. So the year I spent at Hebrew Union College was wonderful because they have the most uh, superb library that they've been collecting since the 19th century. Uh, it's a shame that they no longer have a uh, 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 a graduate academy 
uh, as they had when I was there. Uh, so uh, many of these were taken care of uh, uh, by colleagues uh, and by my uh, current partner, uh, who is a uh, an expert in in, in Hebrew literature and and, and uh, uh, Hebrew itself uh, as a uh, 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 as a language. Can you comment on the relationship between your version of Sefer Yosifon and David Flusser's edition of Sefer Yosifon? Well, I. Um, I worked basically with 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 Fluss's, uh, uh, edition since it was the first edition that was uh, ever done from the manuscripts. There were there were three publications of Yossi Pont uh, in the Middle Ages. Um, the latest one, uh, the latest one in in in, in fifteen, uh, well, the latest one uh, by Yudib and Mosconi, uh, and then that uh, that became the basis of the one that was published in Constantinople. Uh, in the beginning of the 16th century. And that's the one that was reprinted over and over and over again uh, until Flusser actually got down and started looking at the manuscripts and trying to figure out what the uh, the original text looked like. So he pro- uh, proposes or proposed uh, to claim that he found uh, the closest he could to an original Yosipan, which... Um, was rather different from the various manuscripts that had been printed and were circulating widely throughout the Jewish world through the into the past millennium. Uh, so what I did is I as I sat down and translated from Bereshit to uh, uh, to uh, the end of uh, Masada, and then the uh, basically I translated all of Volume One of its two volume edition. Volume One was was the text, uh, and Volume Two was his. Uh, commentary uh which um, basically summarized as late as 1978 uh his entire scholarly research on Yosipon. so in effect this is this is Fluss's work uh rendered into english and it's the first translation into english of Yosipon. are there any parallels to safer Yosipon elsewhere in world literature during this period of time? Well, the 10th century, uh, and we're not quite sure uh, that it's 10th century. Some scholars have claimed that it was written in the late 9th century, but definitely the earliest date that we have for Sefer Yosipan uh, is um, in a colophon that's in the middle of a, um, uh, the text in which he identifies uh, uh, having written, he says, takti, uh, the text, which is a complicated term that I'll get to, um, uh, in the year um, uh, 954, or 953. And he gives it in a Hebrew date from the destruction of the, of the temple, which was considered uh, in medieval literature to be the year 68 rather than 70, as we, as we uh, figure it today. Um, so uh, the question of Hayatakti, as uh, as I as I discovered, uh, you know, through through various um, uh, texts, uh, actually one of the uh, the texts that I wrote a review of, uh, which was a uh, 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 a French translation, a Hebrew translation in France, <coughs> of, uh, of the uh, uh, say for Alexander, because Alexander was a, a rather prominent uh, figure, uh, very popular amongst Jews. And there are a number of them. 
uh, and this uh, was based on a 10th century Byzantine uh, summary of pseudo Callisthenes, which was a uh, an early uh, an early text on 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 on, uh, on Alexander. Uh, so he says "hetakti" uh, in this in this particular text, and and it turns out that it means uh, you know a number of different things. It means that it could be it could be uh, uh, you know I, uh, either either I wrote or like, in other words uh, a text that I saw I copied, um, and that it's, it's and scholars would say that. This was done by the scribe. The scribe says "hetakti," but it could also be the author of Yosipan himself who said "hetakti," because what he did was he himself had translated Latin texts into Hebrew. <clears throat> so the question is, um, uh, who wrote this colophon for this late fifteenth-century uh, uh, version of Yosipan? Um, so I'm not sure if it was the scribe who copied the text, or if this is the colophon of the original author. In any case, 954 is the only text that we have, and some scholars claim that it was 9th century, others said it was an earlier in the 10th century, depending on, on some of the material in it. But uh, uh, as it is, it's a, it's a question that we'll have to wait until the uh, various Geniza fragments of Yosipon, which apparently are earlier, some of them, than 954, or 953, um, are finally uh, resolved, if you will, by a number of scholars who are working on them. How are Vespasian and Titus of Rome depicted in Sefer Yosifon? Well, the, the problem is that um, uh, uh, the Vespasian, of course, was, was a, uh, a major figure uh, who, in the middle of the, of the war, uh, Went back to Rome and uh, and became uh, and became the uh, <clears throat> a sole leader, if you will, thus uniting the whole Roman world as such. Uh, so he comes forth fairly well, fairly well, uh, as an excellent soldier, as an excellent leader, uh, since he had been one in in, uh, uh, in Spain before being sent to uh, uh, to Palestine or to uh, or to Palestine. Uh, to Eretz Israel uh, or to Yuda, which is the way it was referred to uh, for the most part, uh, leaving his son Titus uh, in charge of the army. And Titus, of course, uh, uh, was young, was learning, got slapped pretty badly in, in, in various uh, uh, confrontations uh, uh, in Israel. Uh, and uh, he uh, comes through as, as a man uh, uh, who is a, uh, a true Roman and one that um, respected the religions of other people. The Romans technically only destroyed two temples, I think, in one of the uh, one of the, some Germanic tribe uh, in Europe where they burned uh, all of the, uh, the wooden uh, statues there. Uh, and the one in Jerusalem. And uh, according to uh, Josephus, uh, who was apologetic <clears throat> and was, uh, uh, if you will, uh, a court, uh, a court uh, historian uh, for uh, of Vespasian and, uh, and, and, and Titus, uh, 
had to protect his own uh, interests. And in any event, he comes through very sympathetically towards them. And Yosipan follows that quite well. Uh, a sympathetic man who was horrified by uh, by some aspects of it, which turned out to be a very nasty uh, uh, fine for Christians uh, who uh, used that as a basis for showing the Jews killed and ate babies and things of that nature. Um, but that's another story. In any event, um, uh, Vespasian and, and Titus come through uh, uh, very positively which was something that Josephus had structured for his uh, Roman uh, Greek reading audience. How are priests and rabbis depicted in Sefer Yosipon? How are clergy and religious functionaries presented and portrayed? Yeah, an interesting question. Uh, he follows pretty much um, um, the uh, the Maccabees. This is the books of Maccabees, Sefer Maccabean. Um, and uh, one doesn't talk about priests and rabbis. One talks about uh, Sadokim, the Sadducees, uh, and um, uh, and Pharisees, uh, and also the Essenes, because these are uh, positively uh, described by Josephus. And Josephus follows them. And um, there was a vicious uh, clash uh, between the, uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. <coughs> Uh, especially under Alexander Yanai, um, in which the uh, the Sadducees killed uh, a whole bunch of Pharisees. And when the Pharisees got into power uh, under his widow, uh, they, um, uh, they got even, if you will, uh, with the Sadducees. And that wound up with a split, a major split uh, between the two groups uh, that eventually um, uh, wound up with uh, uh, Pompey. Uh, who's very positively described uh, in a in a passage which which is a, a literary piece of his amazement at the beauty and power of, of Jerusalem that uh, uh, that uh, uh, he was coming to control and um, uh, the Romans come through very 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 uh, uh, if you will very positively. Uh, within this, uh, as opposed to the, the Syrians, uh, who were vicious, uh, blood-sucking uh, anti-Semites. What role has Sefer Yosipon played in the history of Jewish religious literature? Can you describe commentators who have read it and interpreted it? Can you describe rabbis who have been influenced by it and have cited it? Well, if you want to look through the Jewish Encyclopedia, the list of all the rabbis, the famous rabbis in the Middle Ages, uh, about half of them have left comments on on on, on Yosipon. Uh, in other words, it was the most um, popular book amongst Jews for the past millennium, until the the translation of uh, uh, Josephus himself into uh, into Hebrew in the nineteenth century, and especially in the twentieth century, and the vast vast army of scholars who have been studying Josephus uh, since the Renaissance. Uh, so so Yosipan was the exclusive way in which the Jews, 99% of the Jews, learned about Jewish history, because few of them read Greek, few of them read Latin, and therefore um, uh, they relied uh, on the Hebrew element, except for the Jews of the Islamic world who read the uh, uh, the Islamic version. 
uh, of Josephus, um, uh, which was recently published in Hebrew by uh, uh, Shulamit Sela, uh, the two-volume work. <laughs> uh, and there are other translations uh, of, 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 of Yosipon. So Jews were reading Yosipon in a number of different languages, and it, it, it's been translated into a dozen languages in any event. Uh, but nobody had translated it into English until today. The partial translation based on on, uh, on Avram ibn Dawud's uh, Sefer Kabbalah, but that was only a partial translation in the 16th century uh, from a Latin version. That was not a very good one. Uh, but in any event, that's the only one uh, that uh, uh, that exists uh, in English, and it's a very a truncated, a truncated piece. But in terms of that, we can start with um, Rabbi um, uh, 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 the rabbis of, of, the, of the 10th century, uh, and then continuing through uh, uh, Rashi, and then continuing all the way through. Uh, uh, in every generation, um, uh, scholars were reading this as their introduction to Jewish history, per se, post-biblical. It's the only post-biblical other than a few Midrashim, uh, post-biblical that uh, texts that were available to Jews. And it was cohesive. I mean, it's, it starts with the uh, uh, the biblical story and continues all the way to the destruction of Bayachini. So in effect, uh, uh, to record all of the rabbis that commented on Yosipon uh, or that used Yosipon, uh, uh, you're pretty much going through the entire gamut of, of medieval scholarship. Thank you. How are Rome and Greece depicted in Sefer Yosifon? Well, basically the same as as uh, uh, as, uh, uh, as Josephus does. Uh, Greece is, of course, uh, uh, the source of wisdom that as it was for Rome itself, and to a certain extent for the Jews. Um, uh, but the, um, the the difference between Greece and Macedonia as is emphasized uh, in Yosipon and, and in Josephus. Uh, and we tend to consider Alexander, who was born in Macedonia, as a Greek, because he spoke Greek, he was trained by Aristotle. Uh, he was a Greek, but he was a Macedonian Greek. And his successors were Macedonian Greeks, the Ptolemies in Egypt, uh, the Seleucids in Syria, uh, and the uh, the other uh, little little states that uh, that showed up, including the Macedonian uh, kingdom, and it's the Syrians who were the worst. The Syrian Macedonians, who are always referred to as Yavanim in the uh, in the Book of Maccabees, uh, and they were vicious. Why were they vicious? Uh, because Antiochus the Fourth wanted to create one world in which he was um, uh, the one god and king. Uh, and so he did it by trying to destroy uh, the only one who would not accept him as king and God. And that, of course, initiated the uh, the great revolt of, uh, uh, of the Maccabees uh, that uh, eventually, eventually, after a, a, a generation, uh, succeeded uh, in throwing out, with Roman help, the... Uh, the Syrians, and eventually the destruction of the Syrian kingdom. Uh, but that's a very important element, um, uh, if you will, in understanding 
beginning of uh, Rome, which uh, uh, Josephon follows uh, through the tragic uh, uh, revolt in the in, in the city of Rome itself, uh, and eventually the emergence of the triumvirate, uh, and then in, in the success of, of Julius Caesar, uh, which he follows all from 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 Josephus and uh, uh, whatever Roman sources that he happened to be reading that he had access to. Uh, and there was many of these in, in the uh, uh, in the early Middle Ages, um, and Rome was was the the great friend of uh, uh, of Israel, great friend of Israel, and under Herod, who uh, is probably the the uh, uh, the the most uh, comprehensive discussion of Herod in ancient literature. And to a certain extent, uh, is still unparalleled in modern in modern literature. Uh, is based on on uh, uh, the great uh, uh, the great work of of uh, on Herod that was done by his secretary, uh, and then later uh, by Josephus himself, uh, who interprets, if you will, what he can from from Greek sources, uh, and produces a combined picture of. Uh, of Herod, uh, both as um, uh, as a ward or as an ally uh, uh, of Rome, who was the policeman of the Eastern Mediterranean, and controlling, if you will, uh, the Arab East uh, that uh, that threatened the the uh, the great Greek cities of uh, of the Eastern Mediterranean. So, um, uh, from that perspective, we have Herod as a leader. A military leader uh, who loved Israel so much so that um, uh, his sycophants actually considered him a messianic figure, Herod, and that continued well into the uh, 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 late Roman Empire. On the other hand, uh, as um, uh, as Josephus records all the material, uh, he creates a combination of of, of Solomon and David uh, with the Herod of. Uh, uh, of Josephus uh, to produce uh, an even more complicated figure, one who had deep psychological problems, uh, uh, who killed his, his, his wife, the last Hasmonean uh, uh, princess, Mariami. And it's funny, in the, in the English translation of, of, uh, of um, uh, Ibn Daud, say for Kabbalah, uh, uh, she's, uh, she's referred to as Marimi, uh, since the, uh, uh, the translator didn't quite understand uh, the Hebrew of, uh, of Miami. In any event, uh, uh, so this, this, this psychology of, of Herod uh, is an absolutely uh, deep and penetrating analysis uh, that we have of a, uh, uh, of a king who, interestingly, like David, died at the age of 70. And uh, uh, another rather other elements, uh, namely that uh, David prepared uh, for the building of the temple, uh, which uh, Solomon actually completed. And uh, this is uh, uh, mentioned, if you will, uh, by Yosipon in order to show uh, to what extent uh, Herod was uh, uh, proposing himself, or at least as, as his uh, biographer, 
uh, presented him as 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 being a reincarnated uh, uh, ancient uh, Jewish kingship under Herod. So uh, so we have this very strange character and the description of the temple, uh, which um, which is really what gave um, uh, Yosipan such influence. Uh, over the medieval Jews, the later medieval Jews, because here they had the whole temple, if you will, that Josephus describes in detail, uh, retold uh, in an absolutely wonderful literary uh, Hebrew. And that's that's one of the things, if you will, that uh, uh, that excited that many of the rabbinic figures uh, who really wanted to understand the uh, uh, the temple. Uh, structure and and uh, and the various vicissitudes of its history uh, for their own people and their own purposes. How are the zealots presented in Sefer Yosipon? What is similar or different from their depiction in Sefer Yosipon relative to the writings of Josephus Flavius or depictions in the Talmud? Uh. Zealots were, uh, were strange. They were they were renegade, not a renegade. They were a rebelling group of young priests, and I mean the, the parallel to today is is of course uh, strange, both in the United States Congress uh, and in Israel, uh, in the Knesset. Uh, we have a small group of of, of individuals um, uh, who, in effect, rebel against the um, uh, the state uh, leadership. Uh, which is which is a, a conservative leadership, um, and they were uh, uh, ready to rebel against Rome, and this is what they were. And what the Zealots did is is, um, uh, is, is they began in that direction. Uh, they took over the temple. And this was a priestly group, the Zealots, and we tend to forget that. Uh, and their their final their final uh, denouement at that Posada. Um, is the wonderful speech, which is a is a is a is a, is a neoplatonic or, or uh, a middle platonic speech uh, that uh, that talks about uh, uh, sacrifice uh, and uh, and dying for the temple uh, that they uh, they do before they commit suicide, and that comes into the whole question of Masada and to what extent that is. Uh, you know, based on Jewish sources, uh, or perhaps uh, uh, maybe the Indian sources that also show up uh, as a fragment uh, that's connected with Yosipon uh, as such. In any event, uh, so the zealots link up with the uh, the Sakari, uh, which are dagger men, uh, <clears throat> uh, who were basically assassins, and uh, and they went around killing all the rich people in the. Uh, and the political opponents that they had uh, in Jerusalem, and they in effect leaked up with it, and uh, it was they who eventually uh, were wiped out or went to uh, uh, succeeded in escaping to Egypt. Some of them, uh, where they were part of the revolt that took place under Trajan just uh, uh, thirty years later. So um, uh, the zealots, if you will, are um, a warning, if you will, although he doesn't say so. But they were warning to future generations of of what uh, of what phonetics can do, uh, in terms of a, a society that's that's fairly stable, um, uh, with a uh, uh, respected leadership, 
and they're a group that revolts against them and causes chaos, which is basically what the uh, uh, the terrorists are doing uh, in Israel today, both in Israel and in the uh, in the Palestinian areas. One has to be aware of uh, uh, fanatic zealots who kill people for political ends. Yeah. How are women and females depicted in Sefer Yosifon? Can you elaborate? Well, Josephus, uh, well, uh, Yosifon loves women. Um, he is uh, what, what Flissa calls a secular man. He doesn't evince, uh, uh, you know, any any of the <clears throat> religious um, uh, slogans that uh, permeate rabbinic literature. Uh, and he sees human beings, which is what history is based on. And he was an historian. In fact, Flissa calls him perhaps the only historian in the 19th century, the term historian, uh, or modern historian, uh, that he knows of, a uh, person who uh, uh, studied the uh, the manuscripts, compared the manuscripts, which is what Flissett did. Uh, Flissett uh, once uh, said to me and repeated it many, many times, that when he uh, uh, passes on to the yeshiva of Shamala, uh, he really only wanted to, he wanted especially to talk to two people, to Jesus, about whom he wrote a book, uh, and did many, many studies on on, on Jesus and early Christianity, uh, and um, and the author of Yosipon, whom he didn't know his name, but he figured he could find him, and he would spend eternity discussing historical problems of the period with him. So this was Flusser. <clears throat> So, um, uh, so he was interested in people. He starts off his he starts off his book very interestingly with the uh, uh, with the uh, the raid of of, of uh, the tribe of Benjamin uh, for wives, uh, which it turns out is the the same of the the rape of the Sabine women, which we find in in uh, uh, in classic Roman texts. Um, and then he moves on. And, uh, and he finds famous women, warrior women, uh, other kinds of women uh, that, in effect, um, uh, show them to be uh, intelligent. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's afraid of Cleopatra, uh, uh, the uh, the murder of Cyrus by the other uh, Scythians, the Scythians, rather, um, uh, <clears throat> Uh, is um, uh, is affected uh, uh, by a woman leader. Um, uh, Cleopatra, the way that she uh, enmeshed Mark Anthony uh, in her uh, her love bonds, uh, and caused the uh, uh, the threat to the uh, to the Roman Empire of Augustus, or to the Roman rule of Augustus in the Western Mediterranean, uh, when she wanted to rule the whole Eastern Mediterranean. And if Marcus uh, uh, Aurelius could, uh, no, not, not Marcus Aurelius, Mark Antony uh, could succeed in defeating um, Augustus, uh, she would then rule with him the whole Mediterranean. Um, he tells the story of the, the woman that, uh, that Josephus introduced um, uh, at the Siege of Jerusalem, uh, who... And Josephus uh, is accorded a paragraph, basically a paragraph, maybe maybe short paragraph. Um, uh, that's the uh, suffered so much from the famine that um, 
uh, that she uh, begged her son for 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 for, for permission uh, to slaughter him uh, so that um, that she would have something to eat. Um, and this, of course, became a major theme in the Middle Ages. But um, the way he he expands it, the author of Yosipan, uh, is a very poignant uh, uh, feeling. And she does it in order to um, first to save her son from starving to death. Uh, so she kills him. She averts her eyes before, uh, before cutting his throat. Um, and then she... Um, uh, she cuts him up and cooks him, or roasts him. And this, of course, uh, to a city which is under siege and starving, uh, uh, they smell the smoke and say, who's, 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 who's cooking? Who has food? And so the leaders, the, these vicious leaders who were in charge of, of, of Jerusalem, uh, the zealots, uh, come to her and said, how do you dare to have food? And she says, don't say anything. Says, this, this is my child. Uh, I killed him. I cooked him. And see, I saved it for you. I ate some, and I saved the rest for you. Come and let me um, fetch you. <clears throat> fetch you. And I mean, his, his alliteration is, 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 is magnificent through the text. Uh, and let me feed you. And let's, let's, let's share this uh, uh, terrible thing. And of course, they were horrified, and they left her. Uh, and we see in the, in the Middle Age uh, uh, texts of, of, of Josephus, uh, we see uh, descriptions, or not descriptions, pictures of the woman killing her child. And of course, this continues all through the Middle Ages and becomes one of the bases of the uh, the blood libel um, uh, of the later Middle Ages, the Crusaders on, from Crusades on uh, to the modern period, to today, in fact if you will. Uh, but the most famous one was the Damascus affair in 1840. Uh, so um, this is now ingrained not only in literature, but in the mind of, 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 of Christians and especially uh, Muslims who, who have picked up the whole anti-Semitic trope that uh, that they were introduced by uh, Hajimin, uh the Mufti uh, uh, in the 30s and 40s. So uh, uh, so this terrible story, if you will, has become one of the major anti-Semitic tropes, uh, if you will, uh, to even today. Uh, and then uh, uh, at the, uh, the the scene of Masada, of course, uh, uh, Josephus has to record their their death, which he does in this this huge uh, speech that uh, which is full of Platonic uh, uh, elements. Um, of, of Eliezer, the, the, the head of the Zealot uh, group. Uh, and then after he's done, he convinces them that they uh, that they have to uh, uh, commit suicide uh, in order to sacrifice themselves uh, as a religious sacrifice, uh, a korban, uh, for the temple. Uh, and so the men, of course, um, weep all night, and the women weep all night. Uh, and then in the morning, uh, they rose up and... Uh, and they slaughtered the uh, uh, they slaughtered the women, and buried them, and slaughtered the children, and buried them. And interestingly enough, there no bones were found, of course, on on Masada when he got here in uh, dug it up in the in the sixties. Uh, uh, and then they committed suicide. And then suddenly um, uh, it dawns on us that um, that this is not a Jewish thing to do. 
Uh, and so we look at the uh, the Greek tradition of what happens to a city that's under under siege and about to be conquered by their enemies. And it's not only the Greeks. I mean, it's also done amongst the, the Celts and, and other, uh, uh, and other uh, savage tribes uh, that they committed suicide rather uh, than be enslaved or be slaughtered by the enemy, which would be an insult. So they control their own death. And so we have a number of speeches which, which then talk about uh, a necessity for killing themselves uh, and thus uh, uh, sacrificing themselves to God rather than uh, having their wives raped by the Romans or uh, themselves uh, being forced to kill each other uh, in the arena to entertain the Romans or being enslaved or their children being enslaved uh, for, uh, uh, for their lifetimes. So uh, uh, these women, of course, um, uh, then become uh, heroic figures by by contributing to it as well. And then, of course, the Hasmonean women and uh, uh, the widow of, of Alexander Yenai, uh, who is given a uh, an encomium that praises her uh, in one of his major, major um, uh, contributions, if you will, uh, that she was a woman, a woman who did not seek to uh, to take other people's lands, but only to recover the lands that her husband and father had conquered. In other words, to return. I mean, it sounds like Putin, but uh, uh, but uh, in effect, uh, this is this is. Uh, uh, this was his uh, encomium for her, and says, uh, uh, and in certain ways she could uh, uh, foresee the future. So, uh, in fact, she's she's one of the uh, uh, the most respected, if you will, of uh, of the um, you know Maccabean uh, descendants, if you will, uh, at the throne. Uh, and then, of course, um, other women uh, who were mentioned uh, also. Uh, here, Josephus also told the story of, of Paulina, uh, which was a parody, uh, if you will, of Christianity, uh, of a woman uh, who was seduced uh, by uh, uh, a racetrack driver, a Roman, a Roman hero, uh, in fact, <clears throat> because the Romans, of course, you know, had all these, these races for entertainment uh, in the Hippodrome. Um, so he decided that he he wanted to, uh, if you will, enjoy this woman. Uh, so he uh, she refused him uh, when he approached her. So he went to the priest uh, of one of the temples and said, uh, he said, uh, uh, what can we do? So he said to him, I disguise yourself as uh, as the god and uh, and seduce her that way. Uh, so he does. And uh, she's praised for it, of course, by her husband. Uh, and she's praised by all the women. Uh, blessed that you amongst all women, which, of course, is, is from the New Testament. Uh, and uh, also from, uh, uh, from, uh, 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 from the biblical text as well. And um, uh, eventually uh, he goes to the woman afterwards and says, I enjoyed you as a God. Now I'd like to enjoy you as a man. Whereupon she complained to her husband, who complained to Tiberius, uh, who killed the priests, uh, threw them in the Tiber. Uh, but the uh, the racetrack driver, he only banished him 
saying, after all, he was just uh, uh, oversexed. It was unbelievable, uh, if you will. So that becomes a major theme in the Middle Ages uh, that uh, uh, the author of Yossi Pond finds and uh, emphasizes, if you will, that uh, uh, such things were, were, uh, were done in those days. And later, in the additions to Yossi Pond, of course, uh, they took up the uh, the story of Susanna uh, from the from the Midrash, uh, which is a, a kind of a variant on the same story, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, I translated that as a sleazy affair, uh, if you will. But there were others. Uh, there were a number of other stories uh, that um, uh, that show the uh, the oversex drive of the Roman military class, which we're well familiar with, both of men uh, and of women. The scandals, if you will, uh, of the Julian age. Um, but that's uh, that's so much for uh, uh, for the women. Uh, he loved women, uh, and he uh, emphasized them a little bit before the uh, uh, the uh, the post crusader uh, emphasis uh, on women, and especially in the thirteenth and fourteenth centuries. Uh, when we have actual books written by women, about women, uh, women in ancient uh, uh, mythology uh, and women in ancient history uh, and women in, uh, uh, and this is this is secular women rather than the other, other women who were, of course, praised by the church and biographies of them uh, were circulating around uh, the various um, uh, churches. Right. Thank you. Can you tell us about the depictions of different Near Eastern nations and kingdoms as they're portrayed in Sefer Yosipon? How are Armenia, Persia, Egypt, and Arabia presented and depicted? Well, what's what's interesting is um, uh, the Armenians are depicted as Amalek, of course, from from the from the uh, uh, from the uh, <clears throat> from the Book of Numbers. Um, and uh, it turns out that the Byzantine emperors, uh, the string of Byzantine emperors in the in the uh, in the middle period, beginning with Basil uh, uh, Basil the first, who was the first to uh, to initiate not the first, but the, uh, who initiated one of the, the the persecutions of the Jews of southern Italy, uh, could be identified, if you will, with the Armenians, uh, and this would uh, uh, this would be. Uh, uh, enhanced, if you will, in the putim that survived from the time uh, of the evils that were done in the persecution of the Jews, uh, forcing them to be baptized, uh, torture, excuse me, torturing them uh, to be baptized uh, in order to be baptized. So uh, the uh, the Armenians were depicted as as uh, uh, as really barbarians and enemies of the of the Jews, and this, of course, was. Uh, uh, yeah, one can find the bad record of the Armenians during the Shoah uh, in Salonika, uh, where they were part of the uh, the, the people who uh, uh, betrayed the people they worked with, the Jews that they worked with, to the Germans, who then tortured them for their money, uh, and then um, they have a bad, they have really a bad reputation. Unfortunately, uh, many of them uh, that uh, show up in Jewish. Uh, Holocaust memoirs uh, of the of Armenians 
uh, who were particularly nasty individuals. Uh, yeah. uh, so the Armenians, if you will, have this, this track record of uh, hostility uh, to the Jews. And of course, uh, even today, we have uh, the problem between uh, the Azerbaijan and Armenia, uh, where the Armenians uh, uh, recently suffered uh, in the, uh, not being expelled, but in, in leaving, uh, if you will. But they have a place to leave to uh, uh, as a result of the, the fighting. Uh, and Israel uh, supports uh, Azerbaijan. Uh, uh, and, uh, and that's another story. But it's sort of a continuation of this of this uh, strange, uh, strange relationship between these two people. Can Can you tell uh, us about he, some of the other Near Eastern nations yeah, that depicted, such as Arabia, uh, the, Egypt, and the, Persia? Yeah, the Scythians. The Scythians, of course, uh, are, are valiant warriors uh, and uh, and artists. So we we have all the Scythian gold that the Russians have found. Um, and uh, they, they are they, they're a major figure of of, of a, uh, a nomadic group, uh, which is dangerous. Uh, the Greeks, as I said, uh, are, are um, the source of wisdom. The Romans are the source of military power. The the, the, the uh, Yosipon doesn't have any problem with the Romans per se, uh, uh, and he records um, uh, many heroes of the Romans and many sympathetic. Uh, stories uh, about the Romans during the fighting uh, around Jerusalem and the siege of Jerusalem. Uh, but the Romans, of course, are, are, uh, are vicious and angry. Uh, and uh, it's a Romans, it's one of the Roman soldiers uh, who uh, uh, throws the, the torch that sets the temple on fire itself. But Titus is against destroying the temple. Uh, and this he takes directly from from Josephus. Well, we'll excuse this strange thing. <clears throat> How is the temple in Jerusalem depicted in Sefer Yosipon? In extraordinary detail, extraordinary detail, covers an entire chapter that he takes from Josephus uh, and, uh, and depicts in glorifying terms uh, as a symbol. As the most magnificent, as, as literally as what the rabbis would call the eighth wonder of the world. And it was, in effect. Nothing, of course, remains of it other than the uh, uh, the Western Wall, which is uh, uh, basically the, the, the wall that was, was built to uh, support the platform that Herod built, this huge platform, which was one of the biggest platforms uh, of the ancient world, uh, and on which he built his uh, uh, his temple. Uh, so that, in effect, uh, uh, but uh, but the problem with 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 the temple and it's and the actual temple um, is that uh, Josipon made a mistake in reading his Latin source. Now his main Latin source was um, uh, Pseudo Hegesippus. At least this is the, the anonymous author uh, of the fourth century, probably the three sixties. Uh, connected with the with, with the period of Julian, um, sometime late in the three sixties, perhaps scholars are not sure uh, who he might have been. Uh, they think he was. Um, they think he. Uh, uh, well, they gave him the name of uh, of Pseudo Hegesippus, 
Hegesippus, of course, was uh, uh, Latin for Josephus, and uh, Hegesippus of the second century was a uh, 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 Christian who had been converted from Judaism, uh, who was a major church historian, uh, of which only fragments remain in Eusebius. So, pseudo Hegesippus then becomes the title of this book, which is the um, uh, on the destruction of Jerusalem. And in it, um, he wrote, um, uh, he took Josephus and turned it into a, uh, a really anti-Semitic text by emphasizing all of the uh, uh, anti-Jewish literature that had been developed amongst uh, uh, church writers uh, since, the, uh, since the, the New Testament itself, um, hostile uh, literature, uh, and developed that in his Latin to a uh, a major attack on the Jews. So pseudo Hegesippus uh, uh, translates the passage in Josephus on on the temple, expands it a little bit, uh, and um, Josephus misreads one of his one of his descriptions uh, that turns out to um, uh, parallel the uh, uh, cruciform framework inside of churches of the 10th century, uh, which one can see the annoyance of this particular telephone. I think what I'll do, well, I'll leave it there. In any event, um, in the in the church of, of, of St. Mark's in, 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 uh, in Venice, uh, which is a cruciform uh, with uh, the main apse and uh, two cross aisles, and this this becomes his description uh, from his translation. But other than that, um, uh, he's fairly close to uh, Josephus's uh, description of the temple and what he what he could have read uh, in a Talmudic text. But we don't have much Talmudic texts uh, in uh, in Yosipon, although in the uh, uh, the parallel. A publication of Yosipon uh, by a religious scholar in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, he managed to find all sorts of uh, Talmudic references uh, in Jerusalem, and that I understand is being translated uh, also uh, by someone today. Uh, but um, uh, Flusser does cite a lot of parallels in Dead Sea literature, uh, also in in, uh, in Talmudic literature and also in uh, uh, rabbinic literature that, uh, uh, that he uh, brings up, whether it's a direct quote or an indirect uh, uh, reference. Uh, his footnotes are, are full of that, uh, uh, full of this material as well, as well as biblical quotes, because it's a very biblically uh, uh, styled uh, text, Yosipon. What is for Yosipon's contribution to... Byzantine Jewish history and the history of Jewish life in Byzantium. Can you contextualize your book in light of your previous scholarship on Jews in Byzantine history? Well, my main work, as I said, was on the Paleologue period from, from 1204 to 1453. And in it, of course, is, is, is where we meet Yosipon, uh, because we have no reference to it uh, in Byzantine literature uh, before them, other than the text itself which has been defined as a 10th century text. Uh, wait a minute, I, I lost my train of thought there for a minute. 
uh, what was the what was the, oh, oh, in Byzantine in Byzantine Jewish history. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the beginning of the writing of Jewish history in Hebrew, if you will, in the modern sense of history. Uh, although we have some historical texts or texts that we use as history, the letter of Shvira Gaon, for example, on Gaonic history in, in, in Babylonia, and other texts. But this is a um, but this is a real historical text written by a Jew based on Jewish sources, written for Jews, and it becomes the most important uh, uh, the most important text. Uh, Yuda Ibn Mosconi. Um, uh, in effect, uh, uh, records that he found six different versions of uh, five or six different versions uh, of Yosipon or fragments of it uh, in the uh, in the Aegean Islands, as such. Uh, and it was on the basis of that that he created his text uh, of, uh, of of Yosipon. In other words, of uh, editing uh, these texts together. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, the finding of, of the 10th century translation of uh, of um, pseudo Callisthenes uh, uh, in, in, in Byzantium, uh, that this was translated uh, into Latin. Uh, and uh, uh, this was very quickly translated into uh, into Hebrew. Although the the, uh, the text that we have uh, is uh, uh, the editor. Uh, claims that this was well, well Flusser claimed. Uh, Flusser wrote his dissertation on the on the Marseille Alexandros, uh, which is an 11th century text, and he claims that it was based on a uh, a fourth century uh, text of Callisthenes himself. So um, uh, this was very popular, and I think that that was done as a child's uh, the Hebrew translation was done as a as a child's uh, 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 exercise uh, in effect because of the absolutely literal translation of the book of uh, Alexander uh, as such. And this was added to, to Yosipon uh, to expand on, on the, uh, the chapter of Alec- the chapter that mentions Alexander in Jerusalem that was taken from Josephus. Uh, so in terms of, of, uh, of Byzantine Jews, um, uh, some of whom knew, many of whom knew Greek, but but uh, uh, that uh, who read Greek literature, who answered Greek literature, especially the Greek theological literature, which was anti-Jewish, uh, and um, uh, and who had to deal with uh, the um, uh, the hymns uh, for the uh, Orthodox Church uh that were written um uh, by converted Jews as well as by uh as well as by Christians that these had to be responded to especially during the the earlier uh, Byzantine period and then later uh in the Paleologue period we have lots of lots of Jewish philosophers uh writing uh who not only uh write about the controversies not the controversies but the uh well the controversies arising if you will from uh, the study of Plato and Aristotle uh, uh, by Byzantine scholars, uh, and Jews entered into this uh, as well. And they also had to deal with the, the, the rise of different theological movements in Byzantium, such as the Hesychasts, uh, uh, and they had to respond to that uh, as well. And the Jews were, 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 were in Byzantium 
had a, um, a very rich uh, philosophical uh, uh, tradition, uh, as we find out, uh, not only uh, with the study of, of Maimonides especially, uh, but also dealing with the uh, uh, the philosophical studies coming out of uh, out of uh, uh, out of Spain, and uh, Moshe Idel, uh, uh, whom I met uh, uh, while I was uh, 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 working in Jerusalem, uh, once told me when I was I was studying the the the, the manuscript the, the, the colophons of, of manuscripts uh, for Byzantine uh, uh, Jewish manuscripts, um, told me. That there were more um, uh, Hebrew manuscripts of Kabbalah from Byzantium than from Spain and Ashkenaz together. So we're talking about a very rich intellectual tradition, which is now being studied by a younger generation uh, of uh, younger generations uh, of uh, of uh, 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 Hebrew Hebrew scholars. Uh, in Israel uh, and in the United States. So it's beginning to emerge, if you will, uh, uh, a very rich um, uh, scholarly community and a rich history itself, uh, as we're beginning to find out after uh, so many years of, of, of Byzantine Jewry being ignored. This question is about a detail that might seem minute. Um on chapter 16 footnote one you point out that the author of Sefer Yosifon was aware of the persecutions of Jews in southern Italy under Basil I which also aimed at forced baptism can you elaborate on this for us can you contextualize that I mentioned, it? You know, that what I mentioned. specifically happened and can you provide some more detail uh, the first the, the, the first point of course is is uh, you use the uh, the term Yosifun or Yosifon, uh, which is uh, was introduced by uh, uh, by some Israeli scholars, but the Greek of the book is Yosipon. Okay. Yosipon, that's the Greek. Okay. Uh, whatever you want to translate it as, <laughs> is 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 all right, depending on on the other scholarship. But the um, but it is a Greek it is a Greek term okay. it is a Greek term, and the uh, the own at the end. Uh, is a um, uh, is a Greek ending. Now the 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 classic text that we had uh, from uh, southern Italy uh, is Megillat Achimats, uh, that was written in uh, uh, in Italy uh, uh, in the 11th century, and it was the family of of uh, of, of Achimats, uh going all the way back to the beginning, if you will. Um, of the uh, the rise of the the Pew tradition uh, in southern Italy in Oria, which is a gorgeous little city uh, in the middle of the uh, of the peninsula, uh, the heel of Italy. So he wrote this this uh, this chronicle of of his family, extremely important, uh, and he tells us in detail of um, of the persecution of Basil, uh, who invited. Uh, because uh, there were apparently there were there were many discussions or disputations, uh, not official, if you will, uh, by uh, uh, between the uh, the rabbis uh, and the priests 
uh, of southern Italy. And uh, about this period, during the uh, iconoclastic controversy uh, in Byzantium, which is the, the uh, 8th and eighth and ninth centuries, uh, a number of monks uh, were forced to leave Greece itself, and they relocated in Italy. And so there was a mass migration of Greek-speaking uh, religious figures uh, to southern Italy. And that, of course, stimulated uh, the anti-Jewish uh, element uh, in the Christian society, the Latin Christian society as such. Uh, so according to um, uh, Achimatz, uh, one of his ancestors, Shefatia, who was the leader of the Jews of Oria, and a major figure uh, in the politics of, of... And Jews were scattered all up and down the coast, uh, the southeast coast uh, uh, of, uh, of southern Italy. Uh, and maybe uh, uh, six or seven cities, major cities, uh, where they were traders, successful traders, uh, and uh, uh, very well connected with Jerusalem during its rise of the Shivot in, in Jerusalem uh, after the uh, uh, Muslim conquest. Uh, in any event, so uh, as part of this dissertation tradition, disputation tradition, uh, Shafatia was invited by uh, uh, by Basil uh, the first uh, to Constantinople, uh, in which he attempted uh, to bribe him or to entice him uh, to convert to Christianity. Uh, and there's all kinds of stories about this itself, but it turns out that this was an important um, uh, element that first he tried to win over Shafatia, who if he converted, then the Jews themselves would probably begin to convert. Um, and uh, this eventually uh, uh, didn't succeed. And so the extension was that Basil then begins to uh, uh, institute, according to other Piotim, uh, the persecution of the Jews uh, in southern Italy to force them to uh, to do so. Uh, so Yossi Pond himself, uh, 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 if you will, uh, as part of his... Uh, what I think uh, is his uh, anti-Armenian comments, because Basil uh, was connected, if you will, uh, with with Armenia, or at least some of the later uh, Byzantine generals were connected in the 10th century uh, with uh, with Armenia, uh, and they also uh, uh, had to deal with the problem of of uh, uh, Byzantine attitude towards Jews, and uh, attempted to forcibly convert them. As such, uh, that um, uh, that he brings up this, this these elements, if you will, uh, and slides them into the text. Um, and as I said, it was in the uh, one of the manuscripts of the uh, uh, the Alexander Romance uh, that the uh, Armenians are referred to as as Amalek, uh, as such, and that that's what struck me as as uh, 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 connecting, if you will. Uh, to uh, uh, to um, uh, the later period, which of course Yosipan doesn't touch with because he ends with Masada in the first century. What does it mean to read Sefer Yosipon after Auschwitz? In light of your previous scholarship on the history of Greek Jewry during the Holocaust, can you speculate on how the author of Sefer Yosipon might have come to terms with the Holocaust? 
well, the antecedent to um, uh, to the destruction of of uh, Bayat Rishon and and, and Bayat Sheni, uh, were both uh, were both uh, Holocausts. Uh, so, in effect, uh, this would be the third and most bloody Holocaust, uh, following, if you will, a millennium, a millennium of Christian uh, massacres of Jews uh, all over the Western. Uh, all over the uh, uh, the Latin-speaking world, at least he would have been aware of, of course, if he were if he were a modern historian as we are. And it's, uh, in fact, this is why many of the scholars in the 19th century who were familiar with with the rise of anti-Semitism, and of course the discovery of the uh, uh, the Crusader Chronicles that we have, uh, were very much affected by it, and even more so uh, during and after the Holocaust when this literature. Uh, was being studied by people, uh, uh, and and therefore uh, these elements uh, of uh, uh, of not only the Holocaust, but the development of the whole concept, if you will, of kiddush Hashem and acting out of kiddush Hashem uh, by the religious uh, victims of the uh, uh, of the Holocaust uh, would have um, uh, resonated, if you will, very much. Uh, in his ears uh, since uh, uh, the 10th century also saw uh, persecutions uh, of the uh, of the Jews in Byzantium forcing many of the uh, of the scholars uh, to uh, uh, to go either to Egypt if they could get out or to uh, to go to Kazaria which welcomed them How... not being able to you know to to, uh, to bounce mentally in history I would say that he would be very much uh, affected. Uh, by it. As today, we're being affected by it uh, because we haven't had a disaster a massacre like this uh, uh, since the Shoah. How are hunger and famine depicted in Safer Yossi Pon? There's a famous French novel on famine from Algeria. Uh, and um, uh, famine becomes a literary description in Josephus of. Uh, of Jerusalem under siege. And uh, what he does, uh, uh, Josephus, or Yosipon, of course, um, uh, since uh, uh, his, his, his language was Hebrew, uh, not Greek, uh, was to take out the biblical references in, 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 uh, in the Varim, which describe fathers stealing from their son, taking food from their son's mouth, or sons uh, taking food from their mother's mouth. I mean, this is, this is a sage siege um, uh, uh, texts uh, that were uh, threatened as a punishment to the Jews uh, by God uh, uh, in Deuteronomy. And so these would be applied, and they were applied by Yosipon uh, to his text, uh, just to, uh, to show that there's nothing under the, nothing new under the sun, as Solomon learned from the Egyptians. That these texts, if you will, um, were learned, memorized uh, by children, and became, in effect, um, uh, their uh, uh, their literary tool. So, in effect, all of these CDs, uh, uh, and I, I list most of them um, uh, in the appendix uh, on, on on biblical texts that are, that are cited, uh, and uh, you know, in the chapters where they appear. So, in effect, um, uh, this was constantly in his mind when he was writing all of these biblical phrases 
uh, which he heard every Shabbat and every holiday and read every day anyway, uh, that this was that this was the, the intellectual language that they thought in. But he uh, stepped out of this rabbinic framework uh, and into an historical framework, uh, which might have been affected by, uh, well, it probably was affected by the classic historians that he was reading. What does Ibn Khaldun say about Sefer Yosipon? How does he refer to it? He was very excited when he found it. Uh, what he found was a um, uh, there was a Syria a, a Syria copy uh, that he um, uh, that he found in in Egypt um, that he translated into uh, uh, Arabic, and this, in effect, was the only text that he had found um, referring to ancient Jewish history. So he translated it, and this became, uh, if you will, one of the uh, uh, you know, the basic pieces of literature, since Ibn Khaldun was a massive sociologist, uh, a great scholar, uh, that he contributed to uh, uh, to Islamic literature. Now, what I suggested some years ago was that the uh, Sikari in uh, uh, the, the Dagger Men uh, in, uh, uh, in Yosipan, uh, once translated into Arabic, uh, becomes part of, of, of or at least a source uh, for the old man of the mountains, the the uh, the sheikh, uh, the sheikh who founded the assassins, the Hashishin, uh, who created um, a uh, a drug induced garden of Eden uh, for his uh, uh, acolytes, uh, who then uh, went out and assassinated people that he sent them to do so. And strangely enough, uh, well, not strangely enough, uh, we find out that the uh, Hamas uh, 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 terrorists went on a uh, suicide mission, uh, already stimulated uh, by uh, by some kind of uh, uh, hallucinogenic uh, uh, drug, so that they were able to to go in and, and and commit all these massacres with absolutely no remorse. Not that they would have had it in the beginning, but uh, I mean to chop up babies. Uh, to kill mothers, to rip open pregnant women. I mean, this is just the most inhuman things that we can uh, think of. The worse than uh, uh, than the average barbarian, although some of them in the past have done the same thing. But nonetheless, uh, these texts, uh, uh, especially, are extremely important in, in the uh, Islamic tradition, uh, providing, if you will, uh, the massive uh, uh, number of references that we find uh, to ancient Jews uh, in uh, uh, in, uh, uh, in the literature, alongside the uh, uh, the other chronicles of, of later medieval Jews uh, that show up in in uh, Islamic literature. What does Sefer Yosipon teach us about memory and collective memory? Well, we hope more people will start reading it now that it's available in English. Uh, there was a um, a very interesting publication in Israel um, of a um, a vocalized text for youngsters, uh, as well as the fact that that is constantly being or constantly being reprinted in the seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth centuries, and even into the twentieth centuries in Hebrew, as well as in Yiddish, uh, as well as the uh, the great number of of uh, uh, translations into other languages <clears throat> uh, that um, 
that were circulating and that now constitute a whole shelves uh, in libraries. Um, what did it do about, uh, he, he provided, if you will, an oral history of the Second Temple uh, for the average Jew. And since most Jews were literate in the Middle Ages, and to a certain extent uh, in the modern period, where they are becoming less and less Jewishly literate, literate uh, that they all read it. What is um, what does Adnan say in his Oreach Natal Alun? On the Sabbath, uh, uh, he would read in Mishlei Shualim to learn about the uh, uh, the lifestyle of of, uh, of of creatures, and he would uh, uh, read a few uh, hours in in, uh, in the Shabbat uh, afternoon uh, in Sefer Yosipon to learn about human nature. And Yosipon is full of of human stories illustrating the vicissitudes of human nature. What can your translation of Sefer Yosipon contribute to fields elsewhere in the humanities outside of Jewish studies? How can students and scholars in fields in the humanities that are not Jewish studies benefit from engagement with Sefer Yosipon? Well, as, as Agnon said, uh, one can read about human nature in Sefer Yosipon. One can read his literary style. In fact, it was taught for its literary style as well uh, by medieval uh, uh, Jewish scholars at the Hebrew University uh, in recent years. Um, people interested in literature who read history as literature, which history is literature. It's telling a story. So it tells the story of ancient Jews in a unique way, by a Jew, um, uh, and not by a, a, a Jew writing in Greek for the Romans, but by a Jew writing in Hebrew for the Jews. So now we can see something of the Jewish mentality of reading its own history in its own way, and not by reading it in a, uh, uh, an apologetic style. Uh, by uh, uh, by a Jew, as Josephus did, and as many Jews do today. Another problem, because the Jews today, you know, are very uh, uh, complex creatures, uh, both conservative uh, and uh, uh, democratic, if you will, and both on the extremes, and who write history using history as a tool uh, to try and shape minds. So let Josephus talk to people. Uh, from a 10th century perspective uh, of uh, of his own past for his own people. So anybody in literature, uh, anybody in psychology, beautiful sections of psychology, and especially the the the, uh, uh, the character of, of Herod uh, and of the uh, uh, the Scythian, uh, Scythian queen uh, who exacts vengeance on Cyrus uh, for killing her son. And her husband, uh, who cuts off, uh, who takes the, the, the head of the dead Cyrus, uh, puts it in a sack and fills the sack with blood. Said, you who sought blood so much cannot drink it forever. Uh, of, um, of Cleopatra, of a different view of Cleopatra than uh, uh, the various average uh, discussions of her. Of a religious woman, a sexually a religious woman, um, who considered herself, if you will, the embodiment of her of her national 
God, Isis, I succeeded in entrapping men. Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, only failed in their, in their attempt to uh, uh, seduce Augustus. Uh, or other individuals, various psychological uh, elements of human nature that uh, uh, are part and parcel of of, of, uh, of literature as such. People should be reading literature in addition uh, to history. Uh, and you know, so get them out of this uh, uh, technological uh, morass that we're sinking into that might, uh, as as some of the scholars in AI uh, say, that we might destroy ourselves in the process of creating something uh, stronger than us. Let them read. Let them see the, uh, uh, the horrors of human interaction that the great authors of the early 20th century wrote about. Uh, let them read for pure entertainment. So there are, there are all elements, uh, you know, all people who read, you know, Whatever field they are can read and enjoy this text. As we bring today's dialogue to a close, can you tell us about where your time and attention have gone since completing this work? Uh, well, uh, I did. I did um, uh, two things. Uh, uh, I, I was uh, publishing um, Holocaust memoirs of Greek Jews, of which there were basically about a hundred before I started, uh, and I think there's now maybe. Maybe a hundred and twenty. I'm unsure. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, written in in in, in Italian, in Greek, in, in Hebrew, in Spanish, uh, in English. Uh, so I mean, it's very hard to find them. So I succeeded in publishing, I think, six of them uh, of individuals that I interviewed and and, and texts that I found that uh, got permission to publish. Uh, so uh, I so I moved into into basically Holocaust studies. Uh, of Jews in Greece, which was uh, pretty much uh, uh, not much available, uh, if you will, in English, uh, other than the, in the uh, commentary on the uh, Nuremberg trials that uh, that permeated the literature. But the actual uh, experiences, not only of the Jews who were victims of the Holocaust, but Jews who were in the resistance against uh of the Germans and the Nazis, uh, so that was that. That was my my other project that I'd been going on, moving on since I I first went to uh, uh, to Greece uh, uh, in the sixties uh, and met uh, a couple of um, uh, individuals in the resistance uh, and other people who were working on the resistance and collecting materials. And so I started collecting materials uh, as well. Uh, and then when I came back to the States and I had more time to, uh, after my dissertation was done, uh, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to work in that. Uh, and then I went to a, a conference in Washington in 1978, which was the first time that the left and the right, uh, which had a civil war in Greece, uh, and the scholars have been fighting it ever since, uh, finally met together in one conference. And there I met a number of, of, uh, of scholars with whom I continued and then when I went to to to, to, to Europe, uh, I gradually met more people, uh, and so worked on that subject as well. Uh, and so um, uh, then at the same time, uh, I've been asked to write some uh, materials, some articles on on uh, anti-Semitism in Byzantium. And of course, I turned around and said, one can't write about anti-Semitism in Byzantium. 
because anti-Semitism is a new word uh, and doesn't apply to both the anti-Jewish and anti-Judaic uh, uh, elements uh, in Jew hatred uh, in that uh, in the earlier uh, medieval period, as well as the ancient world. Um, and so, uh, uh, so I've been moving through the Byzantine texts, uh, dealing with specific periods and dealing with the question of of uh, uh, how they recorded and uh, uh, built into the law codes and into the canon laws of uh, uh, and into the church records, uh, as well as the church literature, uh, as well as the secular literature. Uh, these uh, uh, anti-Jewish uh, actions, ideas, uh, and sentiments, and the effect that it had on the masses, just like just like um, uh, leaders today, uh, can stimulate huge throngs, uh, like um, uh, Adolf Hitler was able to uh, uh, to stimulate anti-Semitism, which had been circulating around in Germany since the nineteenth century, based on Jew hatred. Of even previous experience, uh, that he turned it into a um, a weapon to kill Jews, and uh, and we have an ex-president in this country uh, who is spewing forth uh, to the masses who believe all kinds of lies about all kinds of things, and attracting all the anti-Semites uh, who love to find anything to stimulate their anti-Semitism, and who are reveling uh, in Israel's. Uh, the punishment of Hamas. Jews, too, and television programs continuing uh, 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 continuing today. That's very, very distressing. Uh, that um, all the time crying, which sometimes I cry, too, about the innocent people who were being uh, affected by it. But also remembering that uh, it was started uh, by, uh, by murderous terrorists, and participated in by a large portion of people in Gaza. That too is very sad, and uh, and uh, uh, something that we hope that uh, somebody strong enough or intelligent enough uh, will work out a peace. I mean, it was after the uh, the 1973 war that Israel was able to make peace uh, uh, with Egypt and Jordan. And ended the, the 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 war, if you will, that had been going on since 1948. Or as uh, uh, all of us uh, uh, science fiction buffs uh, who love Star Trek uh, remember the story of the uh, of Spock's people, who had a man who uh, uh, succeeded in 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 affecting peace between the different factions. Speaking of Spock, by the way, uh, what is what was Leonard Nimoy's uh, Great contribution to uh, world literature. I'm sorry, I don't know. Live, prosper, right? Mm. Uh, but I found the phrase originally in Yosipon. Wow, wow! <laughs> I mean, it was it was absolutely amazing. It took me a long time to translate it correctly because I, uh, you know, because I said, because uh, 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 you know, instead of be successful and live long, you know. You know, live long and prosper is what Spock said. Uh, uh, so the uh, the Hebrew, it took me a long time to uh, uh, to um, uh, you know to uh, you know to find the right to find the right translation, and then it struck me <laughs> as as 
did Spock know Hebrew? Not Spock, but Leonard Nimoy, you know, being a nice Jewish boy from Boston who knew Yiddish. Um, maybe he knew Yossi Pond. Or maybe he heard it from the Hasidim, who use it as a, as a common phrase, live long and prosper. In the streets of Jerusalem today, you can hear it. Uh, and that comes from Yossi Pond, or comes from a secondary source, which uses Yossi Pond which is all the rabbinic sources use it as well. So um, uh, we don't know if they went to the original, but necessarily it still exists. Live long and prosper. And I say that to all those people who are kind enough to spend some time with us uh, today. As we bring today's dialogue to a close, I would like to wholeheartedly thank you for your generosity and erudition in the subject matter that you kindly shared with us today regarding your newly published book. It was my hallowed and sincere honor. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to share this material uh, that I've been living with for, um, I started translating uh, uh, Yossi Pond itself in 1978, uh, but I'd already, I'd already uh, uh, discovered it, uh, if you will, in the, uh, 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 during my, my uh, dissertation research uh, as well. <clears throat> uh, so in effect, um, uh, again, I, I, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, uh, to share this uh, with your audience. Uh, and, uh, and I hope they receive it uh, with enough curiosity uh, to look into the book itself. Thank you. I'm absolutely grateful. As, as we end today's interview, I am your host, Ari Barbalat, on the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. Today, I've been in dialogue with Stephen Bowman. We have been discussing his newly translated volume, Sefer Yosipon, A 10th Century History of Ancient Israel, published in Detroit by Wayne State University Press 2022. Dr. Bowman is Professor Emeritus in the Department of Judaic Studies at the University of Cincinnati.